Trigger warning. This podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world. Episode 7, Karma Police. Previously on Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world, Tia feels optimistic about her conversation with Matt Chen. She easily sees him as an ally and a potential boss. Kiki is concerned that Tia's jumping into things when Tia calls Matt up behind her back to accept the offer as his in-home lab assistant. The two besties get into a very heated argument, which ends with the kitchen sink exploding water everywhere as the two women succumb to their sadness about the way things currently are. After Rio sees Hugh as a monster and flees, Hugh follows her back to her home to check on her and brings up the idea of ending things between them. During their discussion, Hugh fades back and forth from his usual self to a ghoulish version, which Rio seemingly resolves by slapping him. Their bluntness with one another stirs more passion, and the week promises to end on a good note, until we discover Nathaniel may have other plans for our two protagonists. After getting home from work Friday evening, Tia grabs a quick shower. No matter how warm she makes the water, Tia can't seem to shake the chills overpowering her body and mind. When she and Kiki had placed bath towels down on the kitchen floor to help sop up the water from the sink that ruptured out of nowhere, it had brought on an odd sense of deja vu. Kiki saw her friend shudder, thinking that maybe she was cold from being blasted with water, or that Tia was worried about having to pay a plumber to fix the sink. Thankfully, they didn't have to stress for any length of time. The second Tia turned the water back on, the sink acted like a normal, stereotypical kitchen sink. No busted pipes, and no waterfalls suddenly erupting. It was like my anger caused that to happen. Huh, that can't be right. Tia tries to convince herself, but the more she replays what transpired between her and Kiki, and how angry she could feel herself getting, Tia's breath quickens. I just need to get out the shower. She rushes through the rest of her hot yet unsatisfying shower. Every time she finds herself in her bathroom, it stirs a memory she doesn't want to remember. She can't help but see the bathtub, the one she's currently standing in, full of blood. She instantly feels the sensation of drowning all over again any time the water hits her nose or lips. What lingers the most, though, and what causes goosebumps to break out all over her body is remembering the thing that pretended to be her mother peering over at her from this very tub. It was like it was mocking her, knowing that her mother had died in this very room. Tia doesn't bother to dry off in the bathroom. She races down the hall in her towel and barges into her room, leaving a trail of wet footprints behind her. When Kiki steps out of Mrs. Johnson's old room, which was now her room, she notices all the water in the hall. Hey, T, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Just decided to go to the mall. Kiki rolls her eyes at the remark, knowing full well that Tia has never been, nor ever will be, that excited to go to the mall. Kiki grabs a hand towel out from the linen closet in the hall next to the bathroom and quietly wipes up the water Tia had left behind. As Kiki finishes cleaning the water up, she can't stop staring at the floor in front of the toilet in the bathroom, knowing that Mrs. Johnson was found dead there. No wonder she doesn't want to spend any time in the bathroom, Kiki thinks to herself. When did you want to head out? Kiki calls out to Tia. We can go as soon as I'm dressed, or whenever you're ready. 
Tia replies, anxious to get out of the house and keep her mind occupied. In just a few days, maybe I'll start getting some answers. Tia contemplates as she tries to maintain focus on Dr. Chen and all the possibilities that could exist with the research he's conducting. I'll be set in five, Kiki says as she opens up her mini backpack and pops a pill from one of the many Ziploc bags inside. She puts the mini backpack on, then heads towards Tia's room, all the while telling herself that today is going to be a good day. By the time Rio gets to work, her throat is scratchy from all the random outbursts of different songs she had sung on her way in. Since tonight would be her and Hugh's first official date together, Rio decided to ditch her usual band t-shirt and instead rock a dark purple v-neck with tight black pants and her favorite pair of black boots. To further complement the look, Rio's wearing a deep purple eyeliner that makes her forest green eyes pop. When Hugh sees her, he immediately clears his throat. <clears> throat. Oh, Rose, you look... Uh, I really like the purple. It's, uh... It's a really nice color on you. He chokes out. Rio's ecstatic, but does her best to hide it. Thanks, Hugh. I'm glad you like it. Not long after Hugh and Rio settle into their work routine, a man waltzes in with a box full of old vinyls. Rio tries to maintain her cool, seeing as the man doesn't quite look like a man. While he's wearing jeans, shoes, a t-shirt, and a short sleeve button-up, his skin appears green and scale-like, his eyes reptilian. When Rio manages to spit out her usual store greeting, the second he opens his mouth to talk, his tongue hisses, causing Rio to jump back and gasp. <gasps> I'm sorry. Was that a yes or a no in taking used vinyl? The man hisses, his reptilian eyes unblinking. Rio swallows hard, and a nervous laugh escapes before she belts out, Karen doesn't have a problem. Rio holds her hand over her mouth. Y y yes, we do. Rio removes her hand. Uh, le let me go grab the manager and we'll be right with you. She replies, forcing her best retail smile. The lizard man nods, placing his box on the store's counter. Rio knocks on Hugh's office door. Hey, we got someone here with a box of vinyl. Hugh immediately gets up. Oh, that's great. He starts walking out towards the front of the store. Oh, yeah, it's, it's been a while since we got any used in. Rio follows behind him, watching Hugh's every move. She wants to see if Hugh reacts to the lizard man, but as always, he doesn't appear to notice anything unusual. Why does this keep happening? Rio wonders, then replays her time in hell and decides it's best to stop questioning it and just go with the flow. If this guy is just here to exchange some vinyls, then there's probably nothing to worry about, right? As Hugh is going through the box, Rio is ready to pounce when she sees Hugh's eyes go wide, his mouth drop open. No way, Hugh exclaims, as Rio prepares herself to slap the shit out of the reptile-like customer. Rio relaxes when she sees that Hugh's reaction had nothing to do with the reptile man at all, but rather, what he brought in. Hugh holds up a Radiohead vinyl of OK Computer, 
that looks old but unopened. Holy shit! This is an original from 1997. The reptile man responds, cutting Hugh off, proud of his vinyl collection. I'm glad to see someone else has great taste. This is incredible. Hugh and the hissing man go back and forth for a while. As Hugh discovers several other limited and highly valuable finds from the box the guy brought in, mostly from the mid to late 90s. Rio continues to keep her eyes glued to this lizard man, hoping that these records are not stolen. Rose, check this one out! And Rio looks up to see another original. This time, it's Duran Duran's Thank You from 1995, a very rare find in vinyl. <laughs> Who cares if they're stolen? This is a great day to be alive! Rio thanks. Rare vinyls for the store. My first date with Hugh. Ugh. Considering how the week started, it's really shaping up to be one hell of a summer. Hmm. No, no, sorry. One awesome summer. There, that's a much better choice of words. Rio can't help but reveal her excitement at what's transpiring before her, and she loves to see Hugh so happy too. As Hugh's finishing up with the scaly man, he gives Rio a look that makes her heart skip several beats. The lizard-like customer leaves, the chime on the door sounding. Hugh's eyes remain on Rio, his mouth curling up just slightly, his expression serious and intense. If Rio ever doubted his feelings towards her, the heat she could feel radiating off of him in this very moment makes her want to pounce. She catches her breath as he comes over to her. I can't wait for this day to be over, he says as he lightly brushes up against her. Rio playfully bats her eyelashes at him. That makes two of us. She replies, grabbing his hand and giving it a squeeze. He's about to go in for a kiss, but stops himself. Only a few more hours, he says, almost more to himself than her. She smiles as he heads back into his office. Don't follow him. If you do, anything could happen. Hugh turns back to look at her. Keep going! Rio yells, surprising them both. Hugh laughs as he makes his way into his office, and Rio distracts herself by looking over all the super cool vinyl that the lizard man had brought in. <sighs> Only a few more hours. Rio reiterates to herself, doing everything in her power to not follow Hugh into his office. Friday night, Tia holds up her promise to Kiki, and the two find themselves hanging out at the mall. Erie has a nice, one-story mall with enough stores to gather decent-sized crowds, but tonight it looks like a fairly desolate place. Tia is relieved there aren't a lot of people, as she's never been a fan of crowds, and Kiki's just happy to be out and not in a library. See, this is what normal people do. They hang out at places where they can actually talk to their friends, Kiki tells Tia. It's not like you can't talk in the library. You just have to keep the noise to a minimum. Kiki's eyes bulge as she stares at her friend in shock. Do you hear how you sound right now? Tia folds her arms, slightly defensive but curious what her friend is getting at. What do you mean? This is what I was talking about this morning. You're a total nerd. Plain and simple. I hate to be the one to have to tell you that, T, but at least it's from someone who cares enough about your social life to make sure you don't get too geeky. Tia scoffs. 
I'd rather be a nerd than a lot of other things, okay? Tia is not at all surprised by Kiki saying this, but she still feels hurt. Maybe I'm being overly sensitive, because... But Tia stops her thought. If she starts thinking about her mom now, she'll only have a harder time faking having fun. Okay, cool-ass Kiki. Tell me, where would I go in the mall if I want to be geek-free? Kiki beams that for once, she's being asked for advice on something. (laughs) Come on, I'll show you. Kiki grabs Tia's arm and drags her through a long hallway of shops before stopping near the main entrance of the mall and the food court. The food court, really? Kiki nods confidently. Then the two women find a table away from the rest of the crowd that's hovering right by the actual food. They seat themselves so they can window shop at a few stores nearby. Kiki talks for a long while, uninhibited and free. Tia would rather be most any other place right now, but seeing her best friend so happy and carefree begins to boost her own spirits. As the two women carry on together, they do not notice the same overly tan blonde woman from the library studying them from afar, watching their every move. Abigail is extremely puzzled by the two women, her eyes fixated on Tia, noticing she is a good listener. Abigail, sometimes referred to as Gabby, believes she is a devout follower, the perfect Christian woman. She holds onto her virginity like it's a prize and feels compelled to tell everyone how sinful sex is outside of marriage. Not only does she believe she is the picture-perfect Christian, she also believes that she is better than everyone else, too. Every Sunday, you can find Abigail at the Church of Paul, where she proclaims to give herself to Jesus Christ himself. If Father Paul was a beacon for the Lord Almighty, then she was to praise him and follow his every commandment. Early Tuesday evening, when Abigail was assisting Father Paul in setting up the church's basement for the weekly Narcotics Anonymous meetings that were held there, Father Paul approached his beloved Abigail about a top-secret mission. In his church office she went, eager to hear why she had been called upon. Abigail, he said, his voice rich in prophecy. The Lord has sent us a test, but only the chosen few can be the soldiers he needs. Abigail's eyes stared adoringly at Father Paul, hanging on to his every word. How have you been tested, Father? She asked, her voice low and husky. Father Paul nods. Yes. Last night, I was visited by a messenger, someone who came to warn of the end times. He gave me two names and very specific instructions. Now, Abigail, can I count on you to stay quiet about all this and to serve him in his orders? Abigail barely blinks before she responds, Of course, Father. Please, give me purpose. Father Paul smiled ear to ear, thrilled to have such a devout follower especially one as young and pretty as Abigail. He knelt down beside her, his one hand resting on the arm of the chair she was seated in, and the other just slow enough on her thigh to not be considered inappropriate, at least in his mind. What we have been tasked with seems easy, but we cannot let our guard down, for that can give way to let the serpent in. Do you know two women by the names of Tatiana Johnson and Rose Smith that live here in Erie? Abigail thought for a moment, pulled out her cell phone, 
then began searching both of their names on her various social media accounts. Uh, how do you spell Titiana? She asked Father Paul. He tells her, and she looks at her phone for a good five minutes. I don't know them. I'm sorry, Father. I looked everywhere, and I can't seem to find anything about them. (laughs) What kind of girls don't have any social media in this day and age? Abigail pouted. Abigail, there is no need to apologize. It's a good thing you do not know these two women. They are heathens, and we have been given orders to make sure that these two women never meet. We are to learn their habits, who they care about. The more information, the better. If we understand our enemies, then they cannot defeat us. You mean, I get to be a spy? A spy is a good word for it, but I still prefer soldier. Yes, father, please consider me one of your strongest and most reliable soldiers. I will not let you down. I know you won't, and that's why it's important to help me find others who can assist with our cause. It'll take more than a few soldiers to stop a war. Isn't that so? To spread his word is my greatest joy. And it was. On all of the six social media accounts she has, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and LinkedIn, she often recounts Bible passages, sings hymns of praise, and blasts anyone who does not do everything she does. Her favorite activity is to publicly shame people And while a lot of people on these social media websites that have encountered her don't think twice about her and her preachy nature, there are a select few who seem to worship her the way they should in their almighty. Father Paul had given Abigail what little information he already knew, like Rose's place of employment, Titiana's recent family tragedy, her favorite hangout at the library, the two women's addresses. But Abigail knew there was more information out there to share, and she was determined to get it. She was ready to prove that she was far superior in every way to the others that claimed to be righteous out there. So here she is, sipping on a now cool latte while occasionally snapping a photo of Tia and even Kiki. She's dying to post Tia's picture all over her social, but Father Paul had told her it was important to be subtle at first. If you give the devil the details, then they have the power to fight back. And that's exactly what she and Father Paul could not let happen. Back at Hugh's, it's quitting time, and Hugh and Rio leave in a rush the second it's 7 o'clock. Hugh locks up, and the two walk hand-in-hand to Hugh's car. Once inside, Hugh turns on the music, and Rio instantly starts singing along with the Radiohead song that's playing. Hugh pauses the music, then turns to look at Rio. You know Radiohead? Rio laughs. You do realize I work in a music store and that I love music. I'm well aware of artists outside of Duran Duran, you know. Well, yeah, but, Hugh, did you convince yourself that I don't have great taste in music? That my palate is bland? Wow. You better just take me home if you think so little of me, Rio teases. Hugh turns pink, holding up one hand as he continues to drive. Okay, so I'll admit, in the few years I've known you, you just, you never struck me as someone who would know Radiohead, or pretty much 
any band outside of the 80s. Hey, Radiohead actually started out in the 1980s when they were called On a Friday. Then, I think what happened is they heard Talking Heads and the Smiths and thought to themselves, whoa, let's put those awesome fuckers together and make this depressing yet fantastic band. Huh. But I guess me and my Durani crazed mind would never have known any of that. Rio playfully flicks Hugh's arm. Damn. You impress me more every day. You know that? Hugh looks over at Rio. I misjudged you. And for that, I'm sorry. But Hugh takes the hand he had been holding up as his white flag to take Rio's hand into his. He gives her hand a quick kiss. I have a few ideas of how I can make it up to you. Now it's Rio's turn to blush, and the butterflies in her stomach go crazy. Then you better hope we get to your place soon. Hugh literally puts the pedal to the metal, making the two laugh as they continue to hold hands while Hugh speeds to his house. Right around the same time, miles away at the Mill Creek Mall in Erie, the stores are starting to wind down for the night and some shops are closing. Tia is ready to go, but Kiki insists that they stay until they are told to leave. Come on, one more store, Kiki pleads. If you say so, Tia replies, eager to leave but wanting Kiki to enjoy herself. Their final shop is Boskov's, and this department store is similar to a Macy's except way more affordable. Oh shit, tea! Are you seeing these deals? Kiki points out, showing Tia a plethora of cheap jewelry that even Tia begins to admire. Holy shit, cute and cheap? I wouldn't have guessed these two things existed together at the mall. Tia tells Kiki, the two women picking up different bracelets and statement rings, trying them out. Check this baby out. Kiki holds out her arm to show off a beautiful silver bracelet with turquoise jewels on it. It's very you, Tia says trying on a gold bracelet with amethyst-looking jewels decorating it. Despite not being excited for this particular outing, Tia is having a really good time with Kiki. The pair used to go on little excursions like this all the time, years ago before adulthood struck them down and made everything so much more challenging, before Tia's mom got sick. As Tia and Kiki continue to admire and try on jewelry, the store announces it is 15 minutes until closing. Kiki and Tia are debating about getting something small, unaware that Abigail is still watching them from afar. She is also in Boskov's, and as she witnesses the two women having such a fun time, she becomes angry. Like, they are not worthy of happiness, she thinks to herself bitterly. So in her anger and hatred of everyone who isn't exactly like her, she goes over to an older woman who's working near the jewelry section, locking her cases and doing a final register check. Abigail turns her expression into one of shock and concern, hurrying over to whisper, I think you have a couple of shoplifters in your store. Abigail points to Tia and Kiki. The older woman turns and stares hard at the two women. Thank you for the tip. And the woman immediately calls security. Proud of herself, Abigail stays to watch the show, excited to see her work in action. Kiki and Tia are narrowing down their choices between two different jewelry options. They want each other's opinion on what to get before they fully commit. Kiki sees the security guard first and freezes. She instinctively drops jewelry and quickly tells Tia, T, let's go. 
Confused, Tia replies, But you haven't told me which one you like better. For you, I'd go with the turquoise. Tia's expression turns into confusion as the security officer gets uncomfortably close to both women. Can both of you please empty your pockets and any bags on you? He asks in a stern, no-nonsense tone. Is something wrong? Before the guard answers, Kiki says, We didn't do anything. We were just leaving. Not before you empty your bags and pockets, he replies harshly. What? Why? Tia doesn't understand what the guy's problem is. Kiki, on the other hand, figures out rather quickly what his problem is. She looks around and sees the old female associate, as well as some blonde girl who looks like a total snob glaring them down. Kiki sticks her tongue out at them in defiance, before grabbing Tia and pulling her towards one of the store's exits. Stop and empty your bags! The security officer yells. He follows after the two women. Tia is in shock, but follows her friend. She knew this kind of stuff happened. It happens all the time. She remembered how dismissive every doctor had been with her mother. She saw the disdain of certain customers at the laundromat, the hatred in some of the patrons at the library, directed at her just because of the color of her skin. She wants to react and stand up for Kiki and herself, but she has no time. As soon as Tia and Kiki arrive at the store exit, two Mill Creek police officers are waiting outside, ready to assist mall security. Are you ladies fleeing a crime scene? What? Tia asks, practically laughing at the question. What crime is he talking about? The fact that we're both being accused of something neither of us had done, or that the security was even called on us in the first place? We were looking at jewelry. To buy, Tia interjects angrily. Right, Kiki nods at Tia. We were looking at jewelry and trying some stuff on before we went through with the purchase, and next thing you know, the security guy is harassing us, so we wanted to leave since we didn't do anything wrong. Okay. Then empty your bags. He points to Tia's purse and Kiki's mini backpack. Kiki tries to play it cool in front of Tia, but inside, Kiki is in disaster mode, the worst case scenario possible, because if she emptied her bag, not only would she get in trouble for possession, an offense she unfortunately has been guilty of two times prior, but the most important factor in all of this is that Tia would then know Kiki's big secret, and Kiki didn't want that to happen. Not now, not ever. No, Kiki states boldly. The police officer who had been quiet up to this point swipes Kiki's backpack from her hands in one swift ninja move. Kiki is about to throw down, but Tia holds her friend back, looking at her as if to say, let's not make this any worse. Kiki looks down, wanting to throw up. The officers rummage through her bag, and while they find no jewelry, they pull out the large baggie of unmarked pills and the few needles she carries. Tia's eyes go wide at the sight. She looks over at Kiki, but Kiki's gaze remains glued to the sidewalk below their feet. Tia feels like she's in a car accident, experiencing a shit ton of whiplash. First the unfounded and racist accusation, and now she discovers her best friend is either selling or using drugs, or both. She's known Kiki long enough to recognize the guilt in her eyes. Tia physically nudges her friend while the cops try to figure out exactly what kind of drugs she's in possession of. Kiki finally makes eye contact with Tia. There are tears in Kiki's eyes, and Tia sees the hurt and the shame. Tia's eyes begin to fill up as well, hurt that she had no clue that her friend was going through something like this. Kiki was like her sister, and they were living together, and she had been so wrapped up in her own sorrow that she didn't even realize this was going on. Tia partially blames herself for not knowing, then quickly states, 
Everything in that bag is mine. As soon as Hugh pulls into his driveway, he hurriedly parks the car and gets out, races over to the passenger side, and opens it up for Rio. Once he and Rio are inches apart, he shuts the passenger's side door, Rio's body pressed up against the car. Their breaths are heavy as the world around them seems to disappear. Hugh tenderly caresses Rio's cheek with his hand, then glides his fingers through her white blonde hair, never taking his eyes off of hers. I think we should head inside. Hugh says softly, his fingers still caressing the side of Rio's face. Rio nods in agreement, her knees weak. Rio takes Hugh's arm as he guides her up the deck. The sun is in its early stages of setting, the sky a faint pink. Rio can feel her heart beating so fast, she wonders if Hugh can hear it too. Hugh holds the door open for her, then follows her inside. He locks the door behind him, throws his keys down on the table, then pulls Rio towards him. Rio lets out a quick, sensual, oh, before her body takes the wheel. The kissing is hot and heavy, the passion so intense, Rio and Hugh both experience an electrifying sensation throughout their entire bodies. If Rio had toured hell on Monday, then Friday she is in love, and in heaven. Neither one of them could tell you how they made it all the way up the stairs, and then somehow on top of Hugh's bed. Hugh's shirt is off, and Hugh carefully pulls Rio's shirt off over her head, his eyes taking in her soft, milky skin. They exchange a deep, affectionate glance before Hugh says, Rose, I... <gasps> before Hugh can finish what he starts to say, there is a horrifyingly loud crash outside, and it sounds close. That sound? Crushing metal? Rio had only heard that sound once before, when she was yanked out from under her seat in Anita's car and taken in two. She looks up at Hugh to see if he had heard it too, and thankfully, he did. What the fuck was that? Hugh wrestles with his shirt to get it back on in a hurry, and he peers out the bedroom window. You gotta be fucking kidding me, he yells, outraged. What is it? What happened? Was there an accident? Rio rushes over to see what Hugh's looking at, and she sees Hugh's car had been hit. Rio turns around to put her shirt back on when she sees Hugh charging down the stairs with a baseball bat in hand. Hugh runs out to investigate who and what had crashed into his car. Rio dashes to follow him. Hugh's car had been parked in his driveway, and once they are both in view of Hugh's car, they see a pickup truck that looks like it had swerved and intentionally hit Hugh's car. A slightly bloody man wearing a camo-covered sweater and brown khaki pants stands next to the truck, laughing to himself. When he sees Hugh and Rio, he holds his hands out, still laughing. <laughs> whoa, whoa, easy there, fella. This was an honest accident. Damn deer ran out in front of me and swerved. You got insurance. Rio can't quite put her finger on it, but something about this situation feels very off. She can tell Hugh feels the same way. Funny. I've lived here for over four years now, and I've seen maybe one deer. He responds, gripping the baseball bat so hard his knuckles are white. It's also funny asking me if I have insurance, considering you're the one who hit my car. The man stares blankly at Hugh for several seconds before his attention turns to Rio. You believe me, don't you, sweetheart? This enrages Hugh even further, his voice becoming loud and booming. Don't fucking talk to her. This is between you and me. You ruined my fucking car! 
he yells, going closer to his car and the man, looking over the damage. Hey, I didn't mean nothing by it. I called the cops. They'll be here soon. Please, just have a little faith. He says to Hugh, before again turning his attention to Rio. Well, it's like the song says. Those with faith will be rewarded. Those without will be tormented. At this remark, Hugh loses it. Hugh goes over to the man's truck that has very little damage and smashes the driver's side window in with his baseball bat. Hugh! Rio screams, rushing over to his side to try to calm him down before the situation escalates any further. The man in camo folds his arms and watches as Hugh continues to smash his truck with his bat. Hugh, please! Rio begs, now hearing the police sirens approaching. She tries to pull him back, his elbow just missing her face. When Hugh realizes he almost hit Rio, he stops so suddenly it causes both of them to tumble backwards. On the ground, Rio pleads, Hugh, you have to stop! What the fuck is going to happen to the store if you get arrested? To us! Hugh's anger slowly fades as reality sets in. His flush appearance rapidly disappears. Rio can see the sweat start to form on his forehead, his face a ghostly white. Hugh, what is it? You're scaring me. The man continues to stand a few feet away in complete silence, watching the two with a scornful look. Hugh slowly sits up, leans in towards Rio, then whispers, Rose, I think I just fucked everything up. I've been to prison before. This, this isn't going to end well. Rio is dumbfounded. She can see the regret and guilt in Hugh's eyes as he tries to get a grip. Then, those same eyes slowly start to shift from their deep blue to a cherry red, Hugh's mouth and teeth twisting into a hideous snarl. Rio snaps off the ground, her mind confused and her body afraid. Everything about today was going so well. How did it all spiral out of control so quickly? Rio notices the man is starting to shift into something otherworldly as well. His already beady eyes going fully black, the cheeks on his face turning into weird, fleshy jowls. Rio goes to scream but stops, the two beings just watching her, unblinking. The only sound or movement is the police sirens and lights that now wash over all of them as the two cop cars pull into Hughes' driveway. Once the cops get out of the car, Rio is shaking, terrified. The cops don't seem to be aware of her heightened anxiety and fear. The first police officer to get out of his car asks whose residence this is and what happened. The other police officer goes over to the guy by his now totaled car, ready to take statements. Rio hears the camo jowl man thing tell the cops he swerved when he saw a deer, and then the owner of the car he hit came out ready for a fight and immediately started beating on his truck. Ghoulish-looking Hugh starts from the beginning of how they heard a crash and then explains how the guy began to harass the two of them. Rio knows she has to do something. Even if Hugh has a weird Shrek or Jekyll and Hyde thing going on, she could not deny how much he and the store means to her. Only moments before this all took place, she could feel the ecstasy between them, and unlike her one-night stand with something posing as Simon the Bon, she knew that what was happening between Hugh and her was real. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but this jowl guy definitely meant to cause harm tonight, and I'm not going to stand for it. Rio realizes the baseball bat is on the ground only inches away. She's shocked that neither cop has confiscated it as a weapon. That's what it was after all, at least, that's what it is now. 
Rio grabs the bat and runs over to the closest police car and swings the bat as hard as she can at the passenger side window. To her and everyone else's surprise, the window shatters with that one hit. Then Rio begins to scream. <laughs> this motherfucker wants to blame Hugh for what happened to his car because he's too chicken shit to admit a woman bashed his car in. One cop pulls out his gun and points it at Rio. Hugh instantly looks like Hugh again, his eyes going wide. He starts to protest when the cop tells Rio to put down the bat. Rio does immediately, her eyes turning to glare at the man who hit Hugh's car. Then she looks at the officer that's about to cuff her. And I'd do it all again, too! He started harassing us, and I just lost it! Hugh watches in both horror and amazement as Rio is cuffed, read her rights, and put in the back of the cop's car. She looks up at Hugh and gives him a slight nod, as if to say, it's okay. Hugh rushes over to the cop's car. Is that really necessary? Referring to arresting Rio, the cop blatantly states, She just damaged a police car in front of four witnesses. Yes, this is necessary. Hugh looks at Rio in the back seat and says very loudly, Don't worry, everything is going to be alright. Rio gives Hugh a big smirk, agreeing that everything will be alright. Now? The man in the camo sweater is bewildered by the whole thing and insists to the remaining officer that it was Hugh who had hit his car. The cop is no longer interested and has a hard time believing in the guy's deer story considering where his car ended up. From an outsider's perspective, this accident looks like it was intentional, the officer states. As Hugh waits to finish up with the cop so he can head to the station, the police officer asks if he knows the man who had hit his car. I've never seen him before, and I hope to never see him again, Hugh states as the police officer wraps up his paperwork and a tow truck pulls up to remove the other man's truck. Insurances are exchanged, and Hugh is anxious for the night to end. He's internally freaking out about Rio and decides the moment everyone leaves, he needs to get in touch with Anita. He looks his car over and realizes there is no way he could drive it. The entire back end is so smashed that the back seat has caved in, making the car look like it was half accordion. Hugh wonders if he has met that guy somewhere before, but he can't place him. Once the man and everyone else is finally gone, including his own car that was towed for repairs, he finds Anita's number and calls her explaining what just happened. He admits the entire situation is his fault, that he lost his temper, and Rio covered for him so that nothing would happen to the store. He hears Anita sigh heavily on the other line, then she informs Hugh that she and Tony would meet him at the police station. I hope you plan to bail her out, Anita remarks, to which Hugh replies, of course. He knows it should have been him in that cop car. He still can't believe Rio's impulsive action and he chuckles for a second as he replays her smashing the window in his mind. Such a bold move. He admires her. When she's committed to something, she does not back down. Hugh pulls up the Lyft app on his phone and requests a ride. The nearest one is 25 minutes away. He's about to head inside to grab his wallet and keys when he notices him. Standing about half a mile down the street, he sees a little boy. Even from this distance, Hugh can see the child has dark, brunette hair that's grown out to his chin and pale skin. He is wearing a small suit that makes him look like he's much older than he actually is. The boy blankly stares at Hugh, his expression somber. Hugh is frozen. The little boy walks a little closer to Hugh, staring at him for what seems like an eternity before he turns and runs away down the street. As soon as the little boy is out of sight, Hugh runs back into his house rushes over to the kitchen sink, 
and throws up. His forehead begins to show the sweat as he holds onto the counter surrounding the sink and throws up a little more before he's able to let out a long breath. His hands shaky, he runs the water to help the vomit go down the drain. Hugh's eyes are bloodshot, and a few tears escape down his face. He seems lost in a trance until he hears the ding on his phone, letting him know that his ride is close. Hugh picks up his phone and without hesitation, he cancels the ride. He turns and sits on the floor, his back against the counter. Hugh puts his head into his hands and sobs uncontrollably. Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World is written, created, and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia is performed by Julie McCormick. Adam is performed by John S. Quinpuerta. Rio and all other voices are performed by Callie Oberlander. All sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. My continuity checkers, readers, and biggest supporters are Jules Johnson, Hilary Roback, and Hugh Philpott. And if you've made it this far, please remember that even in the darkest times, there is always hope. Do you like the Dresden Files novels, tabletop role-playing games, improv, adventure, or butt jokes? If not, I don't know if we can help you. Hi there, this is Michael, the host and game master for Green Mountain Mysteries, a Dresden Files RPG actual play podcast about four ersatz heroes fighting wizards and monsters in Burlington, Vermont. Come for the grand urban fantasy adventure full of diverse characters. Stay for the many butt jokes. Seriously, one of the players is playing a proctologist. It's just mwah, chef's kiss. You can listen to new episodes of Green Mountain Mysteries every Wednesday on the Pocket Podcast Network or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.